All right. Welcome. Good afternoon. Good evening. I am going to... I have a lot to cover. This has been a very um, exciting, difficult, fun, kind of the same but very different sermon to prepare that I have gone over and over um, multiple times just praying and asking God to ensure that <clears throat> he is speaking and not I'm speaking. But I'm going to cover eight points and I'm going <clears> to <throat> tell you what those eight points are before I start because then you'll hopefully not get bored. <laughs> Looking at you, Edie. No, I'm just kidding. With you. First point will be each to his work. The next will be family, not friends. Then the struggle in family. Then Christmas lunch, not a meal at a restaurant. Living stones, who we are, the announcement, then the plan. I took a leaf out of Mal's notebook. So you make them hear the sermon before they get the uh, dessert now. See, I know what to do. It'll be the very end. So I want you to stick around. But there's a reason I'm not doing that so that you can't just hear it. I want to explain what it is we're doing and where it is we're going. <clears throat> this last season for myself, probably more so than, than anybody else, but myself and Jess, has been an interesting season. It has been a, a struggle. It has been challenging. It has been exciting and all of the above. And I've just felt God really um, challenging me personally as to where we're going and what it looks like and what we're here for. The ease to go and do something else has been knocking on my door like never before. And I've, I've <clears throat> as much as I don't like to say, I've had many tears to, to Jess and to Paul. I've had long phone calls with Paul wrestling it out. And um, he has been very challenging and encouraging. Many phone calls that I've got frustrated and said, well, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. So we'll chat later. And then I've got to call him back and go back and go back. And I think one of the things in that is that God is always pulling us deeper. He's always pulling us in. But this walk that we're on is not easy. It's a challenge, right? It's not a walk in the park. That we are constantly fighting. We are constantly wrestling. We're constantly battling against another um, spiritual power that is coming against us. And that's not something to be afraid because we've already won that wrestle. That, that, that battle has already been won. But it doesn't mean that there's still not casualties. There's still not wrestles. There's still not challenges, right? So... I've been asking God and, and praying as to where we're going and there's been things that he's leading us in and one of those is in Nehemiah. So if you can grab your Bibles for me. Go to Nehemiah 4. Chapter 4 verse 15. I'm going to bounce all over the place. I won't tell you to go and look at every verse 2 predominantly. One that Jess has already read that I don't know. Did you see my notes? Whoa. <laughs> Nehemiah 4. thought maybe she had a little peek at me notes before starting. 4, verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows and coats of mail. And those leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Paul's on just on the end of 17 there, Silas 17. They were outside the wall, right? They were building the wall as the people Nehemiah had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. They were in the city building the wall, but something stopped them. There was a battle that took place, right? And they all went out to fight the battle. 
But it says there in that first verse, when God had frustrated their plan, when our enemies heard that it was known, we knew God had frustrated the plan. The enemy pulls back. The first thing they then go and do is they all go back into the city and keep building. What it shows me in that is that there are seasons and times that the church goes through where we are inside building, preparing, getting it ready. But then that stops for us to all go out and fight a battle that is being had. I believe in the season we've come from, we have been in a time and a moment where we've all been outside fighting the battle. That there has been a, 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 an enemy's plan that has been put forward that we have been out and attacking. And I feel that there's, there's a, a frustration for the enemy now that the plan has been revealed and God has protected us in that. And what Nehemiah then goes on to say is he calls the horn and they all come back to the building. Sorry, back to the building of the wall. Verse 17 who were building on the wall, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet who was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time that every man and his servant passed the night with Jerusalem, within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me. None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. See, they were all walking, they were all working and, and going out and fighting and coming back and working. And Nehemiah says, we've been separated from each other. Sound the trumpet call. Bring them back in. Because it's in our togetherness, it's in our unity, not just as an individual house, but as the houses in a city, in a region, in a nation, that it says that God will fight for us in that place. He says they're all out, they're spread, we're spread too thin. When you see any war movie and they, the soldiers push out and there's a great take of it in Troy where um, um, the Achilles is standing on top of the hill and he's commentating because he refused to go and fight and he says they've spread too thin they're going to get destroyed and what Nehemiah is saying here is he's saying the, the, the church has spread themselves too thin they've individualized themselves too much sound the trumpet horn bring them back in but when they come back in now that they know that there's war outside of the gates let them keep a weapon on their side, a plowshare in one hand and a sword in the other, Mark used to always say. Because they know that outside the gates is a great war, but inside the gates is a great amount of work to do. We've come to a place in the church, I think, where, where if we go outside, there's a great battle taking place. And if we come inside, there's a great amount of work to do. That I think a lot of Christians and a lot of, of the contemporary Western church is frustrated both by the world and by the church. Because when we come through her doors, we see that there is so much to be done. And we're looking to those who we believe have been chosen to do it and said, why isn't the job being done? But Nehemiah is saying, call them all back to the place of work. But don't let them forget there's a war to go. There is a, a need for their weapon to be on their side, for a, a plowshare in one hand and a weapon in the other. But he says, he says clearly here, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated from the war from one another but our God will fight for us. 
the thing that they had while they were building the wall was that even though both the battle was great and the building of the inside of the wall was great, he knew without a shadow of a doubt with all that was inside him that he was called to achieve the task and that his God would fight for him. As a people, we have to understand that we come together in this place as the gathered church to strengthen and equip each other to go back out as the scattered church and achieve what God has asked us to do. The church doesn't just exist in these walls and we can't just stay in these walls. However, when we stay too far out, when we spread ourselves too thin and we forget that what is actually taking place in here strengthens, equips and encourages us, we get lost in the battle and we forget that there's a wall to be built. And the challenge for all of us is that we can get lost on one or the other, especially as a leader. For me, I can stand inside the wall and forget that there is a battle going on outside. But at times we can focus too much on the battle outside and forget that there's work to be done inside. What Nehemiah is saying is that there is a, a, a fight on two fronts. And I believe that he's calling us for us now today. We still have those fight on two fronts. But we need to remember that as the church scattered, we can spread ourselves thin and become weak. But as we gather back together, as we encourage, as we strengthen each other, as we sharpen each other, we get built up to go back out. We get built up to go back into our spheres and to stand where God has asked us to stand. We cannot do everything we're meant to do here on a Sunday, but we cannot do what we're supposed to do out there with what happens in here. We need both of these places. We need both our spheres and the community to gather around us. In Psalm 68, Uh, six to five it it speaks about god blessing the people and it says that a father to the fatherless a defender of widows is god in his holy dwelling god sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land god sets the lonely in families one of the the challenges about family is that we don't get to choose our family we don't get to decide what our family looks like, right? We, we are born into it. We're given into it. And the reason that I, I wanted to call this section family, not friends, is that we get to choose our friends. And we choose our friends quite particularly. We, clues, we choose our friends in most cases on how they make us feel, right? We choose our friends on guys that are similar to us, like the same things, do the same things, speak the same way, or have a similar interest to us. But in a church, we're crocs together. Apparently, I'm now croc family. Not sure how I feel about being a croc family. But we we liken ourselves to our friends because of the things that serve us. But a family doesn't work like that. A family is a family because you got born into that place. There's a saying that I've always heard, and I I only understood it just recently. Someone shared this, and it it changed my understanding. But the saying is, is that blood is thicker than water. And the way we've understood that is that blood, your family blood, is thicker than your friend blood. But that's not what actually the saying means. The saying actually came from the old covenantal relationships where they would cut a blood covenant. And the saying actually means the blood in a covenant is thicker than the waters of birth. The blood in a covenant is thicker than the waters of the womb or the waters of birth. And what it's saying is that once you enter a covenant, that covenant in blood that you enter is greater than anything else you can understand. 
So when we say that we have entered into Christ, when we enter into the covenant that he, he cut with the Father, we're actually standing in a place where that becomes the most important relationship that we can be in. My relationship with Jess, my wife, in the covenant that we cut in marriage is greater and deeper and worth more than the relationship with my parents or my siblings. And will be one day in the future greater than the relationship with my kids because I'm in covenant with Jess. And as is God, Christ in covenant with the Father, and we enter into that covenant, the relationship, that's how Jesus can say, leave your mother, your father, everyone else behind. Your covenant with me is what is most important. And I say this not to say that that's why you should come to church or that's why you should be a part of. It's that our relationship with Christ should be the most important thing we can ever begin to understand. It should be the thing we spend most time in pursuit of. It should be the thing that we desire more than anything else. Because the, the, the covenant you've cut with him is worth more than anything else around you. I love Dave was telling me a story a, little, a few weeks ago that he was, he was sitting outside and, and Cherie came outside. I hope you don't mind me sharing this story when you're going to have some quiet time. Yes. Get it by proxy. And Cherie came out to spend some time with, with him and have a nice cute little couple time. And Dave said, honey, I love you, but I need to spend some time with God right now. That's an encouraging thing. Because even though Dave realizes his relationship with his wife, he goes, I need to be with Christ right now. I need to be with the Father. I need to be in a place that is greater than where I am right now. That is an encouraging thing for, and well done, Dave and Sheree, because Sheree smiled and said, yes, I love you, and left <laughs> happily. She did. But that, that is a, a phenomenal, what, what we are doing here, and the reason I bring this up is that what we are doing here is not just to chip away at something we think is a good idea. It's not just to give ourselves good morals or good values. It's not just to show our kids that God is worth being around. What we're doing here is to explain, God, what we were seeing today, you are above all that I could ever know or do. You are greater than all that I could ever understand. That when we sing these songs, we're not just here to pass time, that we are saying in a loving relationship, Christ, I love you more than ever. And it is encouraging and strengthening us for do it, to do it here together in these walls. But we have to take that out and continue it in our private lives with Christ. It has to be a relationship that we give unto with all that we are. The reason we are family in here is because we didn't get to choose each other. If not for Christ, I've said this so many times, but if not for Christ, I wouldn't know Trudy, if at all. I wouldn't, we wouldn't pass each other in, at the golf course. We wouldn't play table tennis together. Right? We wouldn't know each other. We, 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 that relationship is because of Christ, is because of the house. For most of us, for many of us, I didn't choose to be friends with dames. I got that. As a, I got bought, birthed into that. That's, I'm, glad of it. I'm glad though. But I wouldn't have known Dave's. I wouldn't have come across paths with him. And that is a good thing that I get to. I get to have a relationship with Trudy. I get to have a relationship with Dame's. I get to be in a place, but it's because of Christ. It's because of the risen Christ in me that brings us together and makes me family. I would do anything for those guys, but because of Christ. And now our relationship has grown and has 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 changed into what it is because of our time together in this place and outside but it was always because Christ brought us together family means I didn't choose you but someone a father brought us together without a father we don't have family 
as much as the television is trying to tell us different, without a father, we don't have family. Without a mother, we don't have family as well, but I'll get to that in a minute. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, I won't let you go there, because, or you can if you want, if you're fast, but I'm just going to read it. Ephesians 2, 18 to 22, it says this, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We become as a people the household of God, becoming the dwelling place of the Spirit. We become temples individually. Scripture is very clear on that, that we become temples individually. But when we come together as a body, when we come together as the household of God, we release a dwelling place in which the Father comes and resides. The worship that we got to be a part of this evening, although it was phenomenal musically, that's not why it's powerful. Why it's powerful is because as a people, we've all come for the same reason. For the same reason we've gathered together to ensure that we have come to worship and glorify the King. In five weeks, we are all, most of us are all going to gather with our, with our families and with other people around, around a, a particular day. The day doesn't really matter all that much in the world today. What matters is the people that go. I've got my, all my family is coming to the Gold Coast for the first time. I have four older brothers and organizing three days with all my family is like organizing a mini music festival. It's, it's just, it's intense. It's like more phone calls than need to be possible. Like what chips are we going to have? Like it's just for some reason it's been this extraordinary ordeal to work out what's happening, where everyone's going to be, how many presents we buy, all the rest of it. And I was talking to my brother the other day and I said to him, hey, you know, all of that doesn't matter. I actually don't really care. I actually don't care what food's on the table. I don't care if I get a present. I care that all of you are here because we're family. Because the day is what we're coming. We're coming to celebrate each other. And as, as you get older and not be a kid anymore, the presents don't mean anything but the fact that we're there together. And you know, I was thinking when I was preparing this that all my brothers are very different. We are all extraordinarily different. We all look the same, I'll give you that, but we're all very different. And as we get older, I'm realizing more and more just how different we are, how, how much our lives are no longer the same. And I've realized that if one of my brothers is missing from the time in five weeks, it's not the potato bake that they will bring to the dinner. It's not the salad that they'll bring that we'll miss. It's who they are what they bring to the conversation, what they bring to the table, what they come and, and release to the rest of our families. When one of us is missing in that place, you can tell that that person's missing. It's a little bit quieter, a couple of decibels, not as loud. But it's also whatever character is missing, who he is is not at the table. And the reason I say this is because for all of us in this room, 
When one of us is missing, it's not the fact that the room wasn't as full. It's not the fact that we, we didn't, you know, we didn't get to take a photo and, and Instagram how many people. The fact is, is that when one of us is missing, who you are is missing at the table. What you bring is missing at the table. What you reveal to all of us is missing at the table. I had someone say to me once, I don't really know why you want me to come to church because I don't bring anything. And I think that was the saddest moment I could have had with somebody. <coughs> Because I said, what you don't realize the way you change a room when you enter it. Every one of us is important in this place. And every one of us carries something particular that God is doing in you and through you. Every one of us is bringing something that changes the way this room feels and, the, and what we see. When Sean doesn't, isn't there, when Sean couldn't play golf with us for like five weeks. It was a tough five weeks for us, so extraordinarily tough for him. But the group changed drastically. And not because Sean is the best golfer of the group, but because who he is wasn't present in the room. What he carries, the way he laughs, the way he tells you good shot even when it's atrocious, the way he speaks to you in that time, that was missing from the group. So although we still got to play, what he brought to the table was gone. Jess read from 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter with me if you can. 1 Peter chapter 2. One Peter chapter 2. It says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you come to him, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. God has selected all of us and he has made us chosen and precious. The first part of that verse says that the world has rejected you. Well, the world has rejected us. But God has made us chosen and precious. That when you come into this building, you are not dragging yourself in. Nobody really wants me there. Because God has called you to be chosen and precious. When we understand the reality of what is in us and what flows through us, that God has called us chosen and precious we become living stones not lazy troubled old young whatever stone you want to put in front of that you are not an old stone you are a chosen and precious living stone you are not a young stone you're a chosen and precious stone each and every one of us carries that each and every every one of us has called to be something in the kingdom that the other can't that when we are a people who are dedicated to being chosen and precious living stones, we will build up a spiritual house after the cornerstone, which is Christ. Does that make sense? Does anyone not feel like a chosen precious stone? I think some of us do feel like not chosen precious stones. Because for some of us, we don't feel like we're needed. 
We don't feel like we're important. We don't feel like we bring something to the table. But can I just say before I move on, every single one of you, and I, and I don't mean this, the, the beauty of a small room is that I can look at every one of you and to me and to Jess and to what we're doing, every single one of you is important to us and it's important to what you bring to this house. And I mean that genuinely. But we have to get over one thing and it's the next part of the verse. It says, You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to read you an excerpt from a book by a guy named Nathan Fascinio. He wrote a book that I'm halfway through at the moment called Killer Church. And he wrote this about this verse. What do priests do? Priests minister to the Lord and others in that order. My primary job as a priest is to minister to the Lord. My secondary job as a priest is to minister to the saints and the world. And how do I do that? With sacrifices. Peter continues, To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, when I come to church, I'm on duty. I'm not there for me. I'm there for the Lord and His people. I'm not at church to Yelp review the sound, the lights, the chairs, the carpet, whether or not the cross is visible, the leader's clothes, the song selection, or how useful my spiritual, for my spiritual journey the message was. Church is not about me. It's about Him and His. I am a priest and I have bought sacrifices. I love that he expresses the fact that his job as a priest, and he doesn't lead a church, but his job as a priest when he goes into the building is to minister to God first. He realizes I'm not there to bring the milk. I'm not there to make sure that people see me. I'm not there for any other reason than this, to worship God firstly to give him glory and honor because he deserves it. And then the second reason that I'm there is to minister to those around me. Do you know that every single person in this room needs your ministry? They need your ministry. I need what you carry because it builds me up. I need what you have inside you. Dave needs what you have inside you. Tim needs what you have inside you. So when you disqualify yourself because you don't feel like God has, is using you for something, it's Tim that misses out. It's Dave that misses out. It's not the church as a whole. It's the individuals in the room that we realize I carry something in my journey when I come and I minister to the Lord and then I minister to those around me. Does that make sense? Every single one of you carry something that Jess and I can't do. And not just for us, those of us in this room, for others who will come. But that thing that you carry is not just for here on a Sunday. You carry that into your workplace. You carry that into your families. You carry that into your spheres. You carry that into those who are around you. Everything that is inside of you is being expressed to those around you. And they need what God has put in you. Because what He's put in you is Him. I need Christ that's in Shan. And I can't see Christ in myself the way that I see Christ in Shan. When Sean speaks, I go, flip, I never ever thought of it like that. Now I see it differently. Now I can actually see Christ in a way that I couldn't see Him before. That's what we do when we come together as a body. That's why it's important that we're here because when we miss that, when I don't see Sean for a few weeks, I miss what's inside of Him, which is Christ revealed and Christ alive. 
So it's not about the old, be a good boy and get here. It's about come and, and worship and honor the Lord and then, and then serve into those who are around you. You guys know me long enough to know that I, I don't care if there's no milk. I don't care if there's not good bickies. I don't care if the lights aren't right or the worship's not sounding perfect. I really don't mind that stuff. What I mind is that as a people, we minister to each other. But I get excited when, I'm, when I walk through the door and I see guys praying for one another. Because I go, I can't do that. I can do it my way, but I can't do it the way Tim does it. I can't do what he has in him. When I hear Dave encouraging someone, I go, I can't do it that way. But Dave can, and Dave's here. So he's going to minister to the Lord, and then he's going to minister to you. When we understand who we are as a people, that our gifts and our who we are is important, then we understand that we build and stretch the community. Does anyone have any questions before I move on? Is it, yes, Karina. Sorry. Give it to us. You might have already covered this, but is everyone a priest? Is everyone a priest? You know how like in the Old Testament it was just the Levites that were called to be priests? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. But Peter says in the verse we've just read, I can go to other verses. It's clear in Revelation. It's clear in, in Thessalonians, I think, as well. There's many verses that are clear, but let's just use the one I've already used, 1 Peter. Peter writing to all of us, not writing to a particular group of people. People, he says, As you came to him, a living stone, we're all living stones, rejected by men, we've all, to some degree, continued to be rejected by men. In the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up by a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We're called to be kings and priests. Right? All of us. That means minister. That word means to minister to each other. That's why I... That's why I I dislike the title pastor or minister because you're called to be those things too. Some of you are pastors. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are evangelists. Some of you have gifts of help. Some of you have, have the gifts to, to, to serve one another in, in ways that we can't. It's not localized to me. It's all of us. I am a priest, yes, but as are you. I am a minister, yes, but as are you. The spheres change by which we become priests. The spheres change by which we minister. I can't minister into Sean's workplace unless he invites me but it's his place it's his sphere I can't worship I can't minister on Andrew's job because that's his place that's the, the, the location God's given him the sphere God's given him but we can minister together and to each other we can stand with each other so yes Coco to answer your question we all are priests we all are ministers we all stand in a place that God has given us to do the things he's asked us to do. So what's he's asked us to do? Quickly, hey, Shani, can you hand these out for me, please? I turned these into little A5 slots so that you could put them in your Bible, put them on the fridge, put them somewhere, do with them whatever you'd like. And everything that is written on that piece of paper is not new. I've said it before quite a few times. But it's who we are. It's what we're doing. It's, it's what we feel God call us. Very quickly, there's three areas. Our community's vision, our community's mandate, our community's core principle. Can someone read out our community's vision for us, the top one? It's too small. True, I've, got, I've lost Trudy on size. I tried to get it A5 so it's thought in your Bible. 
Someone with, someone with eyes that can read it. John looks like he's got it. Give us the top one. Thank you. be image bearers. The first thing that we are called to be as people, what I felt God give us for this community is to do exactly what was called of us in the garden, to be image bearers, to carry the image of Jesus wherever we go, to stand in a place where we say we are the very image of Christ in this place. Can someone read the next one, the mandate? Timothy, you got it. Everything in our mandate that we are called to do, Christ himself did. And it's the same as what we do as priests. When we come in the room, job number one is to honor and worship God. Job number two, honor and serve or minister to the people. The last one, our community's core principle. Someone with decent eyes who's got it going. The Haynes, look at the guy. To bring common unity around Jesus in the house, the city, the nations, and the nations. One of the reasons we're going to house is because I don't really mind where we do it so long as we're glorifying and, and, and um, bringing majesty to the king. It really doesn't matter to me if it's here, there. What I want to do as a people is all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ to worship Jesus. So everything we do in this house is to continue that. If God is calling you to another house, I want to blow wind in your sails. I want to encourage you. How can I help? What are you, how are you processing it? What can we do? Not because I, I want you to leave, but because I want you to be where Christ wants you to be. That's the unity we all have in Christ. That's what we're trying to do. So as we move forward, as we go, everything that we do, every decision that we make, we are running those decisions through these three points. To be image bearers of Christ, to love God, love people, make disciples, advance the kingdom, and to bring common unity around Jesus in the house, city, the nation, and the nations. So when we think about should we have a children's ministry, should we have a youth ministry, should we have a coffee club, should we do a young mums group, should we do a men's group, should we, should we, should we, all of these things go through these three things. And if these three things get ticked and your heart beats for that, then yes, let's do it. How can we do it? How can we put those things forward? How can we move in that direction? So, the announcement. We are moving from this building. We have been on a journey for the last five to ten weeks looking for somewhere else to meet. And I have felt God say to me, not yet, many times. We, when Dave preached a couple months back and he said, ask God for a word, we were in the throes of, of getting a building and Dave brought that word and God, the one word I got was stay. 
So I had locked in that we were here for quite a season. And a church leader asked me, I went to meet with a a church leader from Mosaic Baptist Church. And he said to me, Ben, would you consider moving and coming and meeting in the afternoon in our building? And off the bat, I said no, right away. I said, no, thank you. We are settled. God said, stay. We're good to go. No. I then left that meeting and I was driving home. And like a punch in the face, the Holy Spirit challenged me that I didn't ask him what his thoughts were on it. So I was driving home and I I got home. I said to Jess, babe, this happened. I said no, but the Holy Spirit has challenged me to go. So I got praying the next day and I threw the fleece out and said, Lord, I will call him. And if the building's available, then you're saying take it. So I called him and he said, no, the building's not available. We've given it to somebody else. So I took that as a sign of fantastic. Lord, you didn't speak, I was wrong. And then a few days later, I bumped into him in the men's toilets, funnily enough. And it was an, it was an odd position to talk. We, it got very, very um, serious very quickly. And he said to me, we can't have the guys who are moving in. We have no other church to move in and we're struggling financially. We can't afford to keep this building if we can't get somebody in, we're struggling. So right there in the men's bathroom with people coming and going, we had a deep and meaningful and prayed for each other and had a moment. And he said to me, he said, I don't know what to do. And before I got a chance to think, I felt the Holy Spirit say, go and go and take it. So I said to him, I'll come and look. I said, I'm not promising you anything, but I'll come and look as my conservative self said. So we went to look. And from the moment myself and Jess and and Sean and Rivy, because Rivy was on the uh, thumbs up team, it was, it was different, wasn't it? There was, a, there was a, a feeling of home there. And when we walked in, I said to Jess, this place is big. It's a big church. It's probably, the meeting room is probably twice to three times as big as this room that we're in. And the, the entrance and foyer is huge and it has phenomenal couches and a setup like we used to have. And for me, I was challenged because it doesn't, feel like it makes any sense to me. We are a small community church going into a fairly big building. It has air con though. Thank the Lord. Hey, give us a job. Where's Jeremy? He's in, oh, Jeremy's in the kids' room for sure, isn't he? Yeah, he is. So it has air con, but that wasn't why we got it. But I, in praying, I said to God, this doesn't make sense. We will be swamped in this building. And there's been a challenge in my heart to to say, to step into what God is asking us to step into, to come to a place where we can grow and say, Lord, we're ready where you are. And that brings me to the last point that we have, which is the plan. Now, I have listened to, sometimes painfully through strategic plans on how to grow churches. And and every time I come away from an idea and and a sermon or a message on how to grow churches, I just feel a little uncomfortable. I feel a little dirty, if I'm honest. I feel a little... Oh. And I've, every time I've gone and prayed, I've said to God, Lord, I don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that physically, in people, we are not growing in number. I don't need to hide from that. I'm, I'm, I don't need to put up big signs. I said, Lord, but I don't know how to do that. I actually don't have a plan for it. All I know is this. You said in your scriptures that you would build your church. So what I do know how to do is to tend my ear and listen and do as you ask me to do. So 
with the building being way too large and it all working, I said, Lord, we'll go. We will go and we'll continue to do exactly this where you've asked us to go and do exactly this. I know two things that we will do in that building. We will worship the great king and we will minister to each other. Whether there's this many, 500, or half of you get upset with my sermon today and also leave, then there will be half. But I know this. I know that I know that I know God has called us to love and honor him and to love and honor each other. And that's what it means for us to be followers of Christ. But I also know that there's stuff that we want to achieve too. We are looking at how we, we generate different spaces, different places that we can do things other than the Sunday gathering, but dis- discipleship spaces. Already I run with guys, which we're going to try and open up more for next year, three times a week where we meet and go through the scriptures. Louis and I have gone through so much scripture in the last what year and a half that we have wrestled through the Bible. We have underlined, we have got rowdy, we've yelled a bit in the living room, but it's been incredible. Sven and, and Aidy and, and Kayla and a few others, Maddie Ryan, have gone through, we're going through scripture. Now, I know that's not available to all of us because they're during the day and I want to open some more next year, but these things are, are planned for us to have discipleship spaces, to have prayer and worship spaces, to have youth and children's spaces where we actually have a, an ability to cater to our young people as well, to have men's and women's spaces, community group spaces, to have these places But I want to say to you, I can't do it on my own and Jess and I can't do it on our own. We need what you carry. We need who you are. And that doesn't mean that I need you to be here every week, although when you're not here, we miss you. When you're not here, it's a little bit duller in here. When you're not here, it's a little bit quieter. It's a a little bit missed who you are. So I want to ask you in this next, we have three more weeks in this building four more weeks in this building, one week at a Christmas lunch and one week at Ario's. We have six weeks before Christmas. And then we will break and we're going to come back next year in the new building on the, I think it's the 8th, but Kayla's in kids, so she can't yell dates me. I think it's the 8th of January, but we'll clear all that up. I'll give you all of that. But we're going to come back into this new building. And I want to ask you plainly and bluntly, would you come and support us? Would you be there? Would you be there to be a part of what we're building here in the city? Would you be there to, to lean on us and allow us to lean on you? Would you bring who you are and what God's called you to be consistently into a space that we can, we can lean on you to say, Sean will be there and I know what he carries. If someone says to me, hey, I, I, I just need someone right now. And I can say, well, Lise would be that for you. Let me, let me introduce you to Lise on Sunday. Let me, let me bring something to you that you can be counted on. I want to ask if you would, in this next phase that God's leading us into, would you come and build with us? Would you come like Nehemiah? We are sounding the trumpet call to say we have been spread too thin. We have been out in the war too long and we've been spread too thin. And would you come back in and build with us? That's what we're asking. I said to Jess, this announcement, I've put it out like maybe we're quitting or maybe we're closing the doors. I hope people aren't scared, but I needed it to be serious because I am serious. I need to be somewhat severe because I'm being somewhat severe. We need who you are. We need the people to come in from the fields and to come and labor with us. And I want to also give you this. If God has not asked you to do that, would you take this next five weeks that we have to pray, earnestly pray? 
would you take the next five weeks so that on that first week, when we gather back in the new building, you can say, I'm all in and I'm here to do what I can do, to give where I can give, to minister where I can minister. And if not, if that five weeks you feel God call you somewhere else, you feel there's an inkling for you to build somewhere else, to be that somewhere else, I will be happy and okay with that. I want to help us go into that. Because if, if, you're, if you're not where God has you, that place is missing you. Their room is a little bit duller. Their gift is missing. Their place is not as bright. And this place is being frustrated because your gift is not here. It should be over there. Lastly, before I finish, please don't hear me. I am not saying that we are only just gifts to come and to give of ourselves. God has called us precious living stones. You are precious for who you are and what God has made you to be. Does that make sense? You're not a tool to be used, but God wants to use you in this space. Why don't we stand? Oh, it's in Mosaic Baptist Church on Madribar Road, for all of you who I didn't tell where the building was. Mosaic Baptist Church on Rorongri exit, turn left. The one with the blue cross that you can see from the highway, yes. Two minutes from here, the next exit down. Let's pray. Father, God, we come to you, Lord, as a people who in most senses don't know what we're doing, don't know how to make it through this place that we're in, this world that we live in. As a people who day to day need your guidance, your counsel, your leading, your provision. God, that without you, we would be entirely lost. We would be confused and wandering, vagabonds in this world. But God, with you, we become found people, precious living stones with a purpose and a plan. God, that every one of us plays a part in the stoned building that you're building with you as a corner and capstone. That every one of us is an important part that if one piece is missing from that building, it looks out of place. God, I pray that this revelation of who we are in you would sink deep into who we are, that we would be sons and daughters. God, that our heart would stop saying we're not this enough or we're not that enough or they don't need me or I'm not important or they won't miss me if I'm not there. God, may all that be broken right now in your name, Jesus. May there be a revelation of sons and daughters in the house. God, not just for our house, but for every house on the Gold Coast. For Oasis, Glow, Hillsong. Father, for Mosaic. God, would there be a realization that, that we as the church are precious living stones in your house designed for your glory and your greatness god i pray that you would continue to reveal to us who you are let us see your plan your purpose let us see your glory great king god like we sang this is all for you and we can't turn back we can't take our eyes off you so, Lord, we trudge on, we head forward, we keep our eyes affixed on the kingdom and on the, on the glory realm. God, and we pray that you would add the things that we need. Lord, we love you, we honor you. God, we thank you for air conditioning. 
I just thought I'd throw that in there because I'm grateful for that. But Lord, we do. We honour you. We glorify you. Lord, I thank you for every person who's here who's come out in the, in the heat and given their afternoon to sacrifice for you. God, to build each other up. Lord, to be a part of your body, to be a part of your dwelling place, the house. And God, I just pray that you bless them, encourage them. Lord, we love you, we honor you, we declare your kingship in this house, we declare your kingship in this city, and we declare your kingship in this nation. You are the great king on whom we worship. Jesus, in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.